630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. All right, well, the unrest and the protests continuing in the United States and more and more athletes are speaking up with their feelings and certainly many hockey players are being vocal about it. Certainly more than you usually expect from the world of hockey. Blake Wheeler, the captain of the Winnipeg Jets, is from Minnesota where this uh, all started. Well, I guess the most recent unrest started with the killing of George Floyd while he was in police custody. And Wheeler's taken a look at everything in the United States with the pandemic and the racial tensions. And uh, yeah, he's a little worried. To have a country be going through this um, economically, socially, everything. And then we're still, we're still, you know, treating each other like this. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's worrisome. The, the you know, being American growing up though, you know, I truly believe that, that better days are ahead. And, um, you know, through that anxiety and through that fear and through kind of that worry, you know, about, about the country, I'm, I'm optimistic and hopeful about the future. All right. That is from Blake Wheeler, who was uh, very well spoken today and very thoughtful about many of the things going on in the United States. George Larac, the former Edmonton Oiler, very popular player, was on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, And uh, he talked a little bit about facing racism in hockey, going all the way back to minor hockey. When I played minor hockey, Bob, if you saw me play minor hockey, if you watched me from the stand, you would think my name was... Because parents from the stands, that's all they called me. They yelled me, they called me the N-word every game. It was nonstop. It was so bad. And my parents stopped going watching me in minor hockey because they were like, you know what, this is a bad environment. And they didn't want me to play hockey because they thought that if I grew with this hatred, it was going to affect me as a man. Right. So they tell me to quit. You can't play hockey with this. It's terrible. Because my parents, when they came to Haiti at 20 years old, they didn't know anything about hockey. They didn't right. teach me hockey. They didn't watch hockey. And even less, they didn't understand why everybody was shouting racial slur at me while I was playing. Really good interview with uh, George Zaraki. You can get the full thing on the Oilers Now page on 630Ched.com. Okay, Kelly Rudy is our weekly guest here on Inside Sports, and he is uh, on the other end of the line. And uh, man, oh man, Kelly, uh, pandemic talk. We were getting a little more hockey talk the last couple of weeks with the NHL's return to play plan. And now this uh, has certainly taken over the the world and, uh, and much of the news cycle. And athletes are, are are speaking out strong words from Larac and, and Blake Wheeler you know I was reading the article on the athletic as well he was he was very thoughtful today boy that's hard to hear isn't it to, to hear George give his uh, account of growing up and and uh, the troubles in in minor hockey and oh what he he had to endure that geez that's that's terrible and you know I don't even know where to start I'm speechless I think uh Reed all this has uh, affected all of us. You know, I think of um, the discussions I've had with my kids uh, and how, you know, we're all willing to grow and learn and understand. And you can tell how emotional I am. It's just sickening. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's been tough to watch. And, and I've been a little bit surprised and, and not not in a bad way, but about and you you know hockey culture kelly sometimes it's like uh, don't have a personality don't speak up don't don't say too much but uh 
a lot of guys, uh, certainly a lot of the black players, past and present. Kevin Weeks was on this show last night, are are, are speaking up. But uh, you know, players of all backgrounds are are getting involved as well. And I think it's, um, you know, it's an opportunity maybe for athletes to show show some leadership, show some intelligence, and and yeah. hopefully show some some compassion here. Absolutely, and and I think we're all learning through this and and trying to. Uh, understand from each other. Uh, I think one of my qualities, Reed, is that I'm a great listener. So, so for the last week or more, I've been uh, really trying to read a lot about uh, the situation and what people are going through and and uh, all those sorts of things. And uh, you know, I, I've been so impressed with people like uh, well, now George Rock. I didn't hear that earlier, but um, how he spoke passionately about what he's gone through and and many others. And and Jonathan Taves and Blake Wheeler. I know Wheeler the second time he's coming out to it. And I think the understanding that we're going to need moving forward will be a a good thing for all of us. And uh, plenty of learning and uh, uh, empathy shown towards others. I think one of the things, I I went for a a hard walk today for about, I don't know, an hour and 15 minutes. and, And this is the only thing that was going on in my brain. Just thinking about this topic and what's going on and you know, I went back to uh, 1992 when we lived in L.A. and there was the, uh, the nights after the Rodney King verdict in which somehow my wife and I were stunned back then when the officers were acquitted of, of that, what I thought was a crime. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about how the hockey world is changing. You know, Don Terry made those uh, disparaging remarks earlier this year. He was let go because of it. Akeem Alou... Uh, people listen to him which is a a great thing evander kane has been talking a while now people are uh listening he's getting full support from his organization including his owner his captain so it's going to be a while because i lived that for a little bit down there and of course i'm not black and i don't know what a black person has gone through but certainly believe in black uh, lives matter so yeah, I I think it's going to be a while, but I hope that we have something positive out of this. Can can you and I look? It's I know it's not a pleasant memory, but you mentioned Rodney King and being in Los Angeles for that. Can you can you is it possible for you to to, to take us back to those moments and that tension and that anger and that sense of injustice that all boiled over? What I remember most, I guess, Reed is just the hatred like it was you could feel it it was just it was ugly really ugly to be in that environment and um i'm certainly not going to say that there wasn't racism or there isn't racism in canada but uh, i wasn't aware of it that could be my fault but to go to uh los angeles in particular because it's certainly there in new york but we're living on the island and i didn't I certainly wasn't aware of it. Maybe I should have been. But to go to Los Angeles, it it, it existed in a big way. And that was just, I just, I, like I said, my wife and I couldn't fathom that those four police officers uh, were going to be acquitted. We, we just couldn't believe it. We, we saw the video. The video was pretty darn clear. And, you know, it's like uh, George Floyd, like nobody Nobody deserves that kind of punishment or you know, suffocation. You know, it's just murder in my mind, and so hard to watch. 
Kelly Rudy joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Kelly, look, look, hockey has is I was going to say has been. It still is a, a predominantly white sport, um, but certainly we've had uh, several great black players in the league and 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 players of different back backgrounds. Certainly, Jujar Kara, uh, an Indo Canadian playing for the Edmonton Oilers. So it's uh, you know it's getting to be more diverse. But when you played, and, and George also told the story with Bob today that when Sean Avery made the the comment uh, about 15 years ago, that you know Mac T and and a bunch of his teammates, you know, came right to his defense and, and confronted Avery and let him know that was incorrect. I mean, did you ever see anything like that? Hear anything like that when when you were playing? Uh, not involving a black player. There were certain certainly other things uh, said on the ice that uh, most likely crossed the line. Let me address uh, Sean Avery. He might be the worst human being to ever play our game. So let's make that clear that uh, what he said to George was very offensive and he said very many other things offensive to a lot of people. You know, there might not be a guy in the league or that played in the league that is respected less than Sean Avery. So I'll leave it at that. Okay, <laughs> fair, fair comment. I, I think uh, it is think a fair comment. It is a fair yeah. comment. Yeah, I, I you... heard all the things that he did behind the scenes, and uh, wow. Well, how do you think he stayed in the league as long as he did? <clears throat> yeah, that's a great question, isn't it? Because unfortunately, not only in the game of hockey, but uh, I suspect other sports uh, leagues and uh, even in the corporate world, if you can do something pretty well. They, they may overlook a number of uh, what I deem are uh, character faults. Yeah, he wound up with 580 games in the in the National Hockey League, and pretty much, well, pretty much right from the beginning, he was known as a bit of a a, a bad egg. And I'm putting using a very mild term there, but we yeah. we certainly understand yeah. what what we're saying here. Kelly yeah. Rudy joining us tonight at Inside Sports, former NHL goaltender, now a broadcaster with the uh, NHL on Rogers, as we discuss the uh, unrest in the United States and the sporting world reaction to it. And of course, there's a lot more uh, reaction to it, but uh, we are inside sports, so we'll kind of stick with that uh, tonight, Kelly. What do you what do you hope um, you know what what do you think athletes and hockey players can do to to have an impact through this? I mean, they're not political leaders, they're not uh, um, you know religious leaders or, or leaders of um, organizations to, to 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 help with equality. They don't have any formal title mm-hmm. like that because I, I get asked that a lot from from listeners and not in a not in a you know a, a put down way or a sarcastic way, but sometimes someone will say like, "Come on, like they're hockey players. What, like, who's really going to listen to them? What can hockey players do? How can how? What's the best way for them to be heard? Uh, by being, I think, vocal and most importantly, heartfelt. Be emotional. Talk about it, and let people know that it, this is something that uh, affects you and bothers you, and and you 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 recognize injustice, and so. Um, and I, you know, oftentimes, read. I put myself in that same category. I don't want athletes or actors or whomever to talk about certain things that are socially important simply because, I don't know, I don't know if I, I really believe in I should be in that arena, but this topic is so heartfelt to me that I do believe uh, I have a say. 
Well, I, I can tell you're emotional about it, uh, Kelly, as, as a lot of us are, because it, it is difficult to talk about and it is difficult to see what's happened in the United States and is continuing to happen. And I hope there's uh, there's no more loss of life and uh, no more violence and somehow they're able to, to work through this. Uh, how are you doing otherwise? Uh, I, I mean, we, we may have an opportunity yeah. here to see some players on the ice in groups of up to six which is not a real hockey practice by any means. Um, but we could have some players skating here in phase two, perhaps in the next week or two. Well, I remain optimistic like I did last and like I was last week. I, I, I really, my fingers are crossed that we're not starting up society a little bit too quickly because we certainly don't need a second wave and there's plenty of opinions on that. But uh, I just remain so darn hopeful that uh, we can have sports because, uh, you know, in in today's world, boy, do we ever need it. Well, it would be nice to sit and watch a game. I've I've certainly yeah. uh, heard the heard that from a from a lot of people. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl has officially won the R. Ross Trophy. I know we've touched on him before, but he spoke to the. Uh, he did a, one of those Zoom calls everybody's doing on yeah. Friday, and uh, I asked him about his shooting, and he emphasized how he has really worked on his shot and accepting the fact that he was one of the higher ice time guys on the team, one of the top scorers, and, and, and he had to be a leader. And he said when he came into the league, you don't play as much, you don't have the experience, and uh, you know, you're not going to be as vocal or take charge as much, but he's, he says he, he figured out he had, to, he had to accept that part of the job too. It's funny, isn't it? When you see guys like that and they have that success and all of a sudden uh, with certain personalities, they just carry themselves differently, right? Like the chin's up a little bit higher. They have higher expectations. They know how to push themselves and know how to push others. And you can just see the body language. And I know you watched me many years on Hockey Night, and I'm a big believer in body language because it tells you a lot about a person because we just do it instinctually. So we just... We can't help ourselves, and so if we're feeling really good about ourselves, you know, we've got the chin up, the shoulders are back, and we look strong and proud, and, and when we're fighting things, you know, the, the head sort of goes down towards the chest, and you don't look up as often, and I, I just see that so much with Dreisaitl. Another guy that has really shown that to me, uh, another guy on a Canadian team, Connor Hellebuck, like, to watch the transformation from even when uh, he had a great year two years ago to, to now, like he's just, he's a general out there. He just loves being in the spotlight and that leadership responsibility. Yeah, for sure. Kelly, thanks for checking in. Uh, we're going to get you on next week as well. Then I think we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll give you the summer until whenever hockey starts again. Uh, usually we're going into the Stanley Cup final this time of year, but I look forward to that. Thank you so much for everything tonight, Kelly. Always appreciate your honesty and appreciate your passion. Thanks, Reid. Nice chatting with you. Even though those are not comfortable conversations, they need to happen. That is Kelly Rudy. Well said by him. Analyst with the NHL on Rogers and a former NHL goaltender and, of course, grew up right here in Edmonton. I am coming to you from my... Uh, not very spare space or spare bedroom as I think I'm coming up on two months broadcasting from home, but really appreciate you tuning in tonight. It is inside sports on six thirty. Chad, you can reach out by calling or texting seven, eight, zero, four, nine, six, zero, zero, six, three. We'll have uh, a bit of a different topic between seven thirty and eight tonight. And this should be a fun one. A guy you used to hear calling Toronto Raptors games. He's now the play-by-play voice on the radio for the Chicago bulls. Remember this guy onions, baby onions. 
It is Chuck Swirsky is going to be coming up. We're back after the break. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Gary has texted in 780-496-0063. He says, hey, Reed, I love when you have Kelly Rudy on. He's a very passionate person. He knows hockey and he knows the players. And a, a really thoughtful text here from Victor I want to read in its entirety. Victor, thanks a lot for sending this. He says, hey, Reed, athletes are role models to the next generations. If kids and fans see actors and athletes standing up against racism and other social justice issues, they will be emboldened to stand up to it themselves. The only way racism will ever be eliminated is if normal, everyday people don't accept it. Zero tolerance. Don't stay quiet out of fear of retaliation, etc. Stand up for what is right, regardless of what might happen. Could be in a grocery store or at a hockey arena. If you hear it or see it, stand up to it, plain and simple. The more people who do, the stronger the message becomes. That is from Victor. And, uh, you know, we got a host coming up who's on from 8 to 11, Adler's on after the show, and he often talks about Canadian common sense, and I think that's a pretty good uh, pretty good dose of common sense there from uh, Victor. You know, we talk a lot about in sports about, uh, you know, a team's culture. What's their culture like? Well, I think, you know, we could, you can extend that to your workplace, to your family, to your circle of friends. What's your culture like? If somebody says or does something that, uh, you know, is hurtful or, uh, you know, shows discrimination or anything like that, what, what do you do about it? Do you, do you kind of laugh and say, well, hopefully they'll never do that again? Or, or they're probably joking. Or do you say, hey, hey uh, you know, hey, man, that's, that's not how we treat people. That's not what we say. That's not what we do in the workplace. That's not what we do when we're hanging out. We can have fun and joke around without saying things like that. So I think, Victor, you make a really good point. Uh, it's a tense time. There's uh, there's a lot of honest and tough discussion going on. And uh, I, I really do mean that, that, that hopefully this, this de-escalates in the United States, that they're able to move forward with it and make progress without any more violence and loss of life, because obviously some of the images and George Floyd's death, pretty tough to watch. Okay. 780-496-0063 for your feedback, whether you want to call or text, we're going to do the news here at 730 and uh, a little bit of a lighter topic, hopefully something that'll make you smile a little bit and give you some memories of voice you used to hear calling Raptors games on the television. He's now the play-by-play band of the Chicago Bulls radio network. Onions, baby onions, salami and cheese. I'll ask him why those are two of his catchphrases. Chuck Swirsky, when we get back to Inside Sports. goes out in front, Carter comes up shooting, 1.2 seconds to go, Vince Carter, you are amazing with 43, swings it right side, Powline, all the time, with a right-handed monster jam, he just posterized Tim Duncan with a little salsa on it, my goodness, and the play continues, Peterson, got it, I don't believe it, I don't believe it, onions, baby onions, Get out the salami and cheese, mama. This ball game is over. 
All right. Well, there are some pretty cool memories. The guy who used to call the play-by-play for the Raptors on television, Chuck Swirsky, a voice I'm sure you know well, and uh, eventually uh, moved on from the Raptors. He's now the radio play-by-play voice for the Chicago Bulls, and we are pleased to welcome Chuck Worski to Inside Sports. Chuck, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. It's nice to talk to you, and I'm going to dive right in here with the hard-hitting question. Onions, baby, onions, salami, and cheese. What is it with you and food, Chuck? (laughs) Well, you know what? I'm I'm just one hungry man. But the salami and cheese started, I received a letter from a Raptor fan, diehard Raptor fan, watched every one of our games. Said, listen, I just, you know, I get so anxious and I, I can't break away for a sandwich so can you do me a favor when, when you think the Raptors are about to win a ball game, can you let me know so I can head to the kitchen? And he goes, by the way, my wife and I love salami and cheese. I'm reading this letter. I'm thinking, what in the world? So a couple games later, Raptors are up by like eight points with 22 seconds to go. And as you know, the NBA is never over to use the Yogi Bear expression. It ain't over till it's over. But... I thought, all right, get out the salami and cheese, mama. This ball game is over. The producer is in the truck. I'm doing TV. Producer's in the truck. And he goes, are you okay? Like, what's that? What's the salami something? And I hit the mute button. So in other words, I could talk to the production truck. But on the air, it doesn't go over. My voice does not go over the air. And so I put my finger on the button, talk back button, and I said, I'll tell you after the game. Game's over. He goes, what is that? I said, listen, it's a long story. I'll explain next game when I see you. Next home game we had two days later at then the Air Canada Center. And I'm getting emails. I'm getting people coming out like saying, we loved it. And it started to mushroom. No pun intended, speaking of food. But it started, and it took off. We had posters. The players were coming to me when the reserves would enter into a ball game when the game was decided. And the players said, have you called out the salami and cheese? And I'm thinking, what? The players know about it. And so it just you know, went viral. Now, that fan that suggested that, did you ever talk to him again? Did, did nope. other inter- No, that was it. Nope. That was it. He never wrote you back and said thanks. Never wrote like, you back. No, nothing. That's amazing. Well, that's uh, and that's that's one of those things as a broadcaster, and I and I've I, I've lived this to some extent too. You never know what's going to stick with people. I mean, of all the things that I'm the first question. That's the first question I ask you. Your long and illustrious broadcasting career. Yeah, that's one well, of the things that stuck, eh? <laughs> yes, it did. And you know what? I mean, I I when I left. Uh, for Chicago in 2008, which was a very difficult decision. In fact, uh, we were talking off the air about Tom Anselmi, who works for the Edmonton Oilers, front office executive, best guy I've ever worked for, unbelievable person, just very caring, very engaged, um, truly, truly a magnificent um, person when it came to skill set of embracing who you were about, respecting who you were, uh, just worked with you. You didn't feel like you were, you know, like 
someone that couldn't walk into his office. That office door was always open. And I felt very comfortable working for him. He was tremendous, is tremendous. So um, so when, when I, I look at the big picture here, and I'm thinking like my career and where it went and how it went, you know, it's little things like that that really make um, the part of the journey to a destination where you can look back on it now and say to yourself, that was fun. Tell me a little bit about what it was like for you watching The Last Dance and if you've talked to, to Bill Wennington about it, of course, a Canadian player who, uh, you know, was featured in several several episodes and was a big part of some of those Bulls teams. Yeah. Well, my relationship with Bill goes actually back to college because I was doing DePaul, which is a, a school here in Chicago. At one time, they were a, a, a tremendous program, a very dominant program in the late 70s and 80s and early 90s, and they've fallen by the wayside. But um, DePaul had a series with St. John's. And Bill, who was born and raised in Montreal, then uh, family moved to the Long Island area, recruited by everyone in the country, McDonald's All-American. And for your Canadian listeners, McDonald's All-American is like the cream of the cream. It's the elite. Um, And so Bill elected to stay home play ball at nearby St. John's, was an All-American at St. John's. He was a first-round draft choice by Dallas in the mid-'80s, comes to Chicago, part-time starter, comes off the bench, wins three NBA rings, and now he's a featured player in this last dance. He was on TV a lot, and I think it shows how much respect Michael Jordan had for Bill because let me tell you what, this was a Michael Jordan production. You can say all you want about the last dance and the final season. Of, hey, without Jordan signing off, there is no last dance. The last dance is actually probably um, a solo waltz right out the door. Okay. It's not happening. But Jordan gave his blessings and Jordan had the right to say, we're doing it. And they went for it. And it turned out well. There were other areas and angles I wish I could have seen, but, you know, Bill, I think, came across extremely well. The Bulls won six championships in eight years. The Edmonton Oilers won five Stanley Cups in seven years, just prior to the Bulls starting their run. Those teams are still revered here in Edmonton, and we're still waiting and hoping there's going to be some teams that replicate that success. Obviously, those teams are revered in Chicago. Um, is it? Is it a burden on current players? Is it uh, glory days the fans want back? Like, how is that as we move further away from those championships actually happening? How are they, uh, how are they perceived? What's the fan base like uh, with those teams on the current team? Yeah, that, that's a good question. By the way, I'm, I'm digging the – and help me if I'm wrong. Like, Edmonton's alternate jerseys, are they the orange ones? They, they're now the permanent ones. Those are the, now the home jerseys. They okay, introduced I'm, I'm them. I'm feeling yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Those uh, are like, see, see, I mean, the little I know, other than Connor McDavid, I mean, the little I know about the Edmonton Oilers, I love their uniforms. Okay. So you can have Tom and Selmy send me uh, uh, an Edmonton Oilers jersey. Um, anyway, where was I? Um, so I'm talking about the Bulls. Yes, not to digress. Um, but, but see, here's the thing. 
there is a whole generation now removed. Jordan's last game was 1998. So think about that. That's 22 years ago. So if you're 25, 27 years old, you really never saw Jordan play. You have to go on YouTube to see Jordan highlights. And now, you know, the parents saw Jordan play. They probably attended a game or two if they were lucky to get a ticket during the Jordan run. But so it was really healthy for young people, even young players in the NBA that are in their 20s who never saw Jordan play. In fact, the Bulls have two players that weren't even born during the last dance. And then you had Larry Markkinen, um, who was from Finland, and he's in his third year. He was one year old. Zach Levine was two years old. So again, this is this is a you know they they were they they were introduced to a world that they had no knowledge of other than stories about yeah Jordan was here at the United Center and he poured in fifty two and this is where he took off from the foul line and the whole bit. I mean those are great, but they didn't live those moments in real time. So I think it was healthy for young players on the Bulls to kind of say, okay, wow, this is kind of, he had a pretty good and competitive vibe. Yeah, well, and that's that's the amazing thing, right? Is the the drive that he had, the self motivation, even if it, even if it was a, a it was a, like there was the one story where he said, well, the, he admitted, oh, yeah, the guy never actually said that to me. But, but I just well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's amazing. Don't, don't let the facts get in the way of great story. All right, come on. <laughs> did I really say that? Did I do that? Oh, I say it, Thomas. I guess I did say that, didn't I? Um, but uh, but it's 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 like the fan base in Edmonton. I mean, the Gretzky the Gretzky run was incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible. We remember. I mean, you know, Michael Jordan in a wizard uniform? Are you kidding me? Well, it's like Wayne Gretzky, like a St. Louis Blue, a New York Ranger. No. He, you know, L.A. Kings, I get it. He put hockey on the map, Southern California. But when you think of Wayne Gretzky, you think of Edmonton Oilers. You really do. And so, um, you know, again, history will write the narrative of Michael Jordan winning six championships I mean, it's it's like okay, you know, he he dabbled into baseball, and then he came back, and I mean, wow! I mean, you know, he's he's a two-time billionaire. I mean, you can't write a better script. Chuck Swirsky joining us on Inside Sports from the Bulls Radio Network, and of course, former play-by-play voice for the Raptors, which he touched on earlier. Uh, so, I mean, you, you, you've been back in Chicago for over a decade now, but seeing the Raptors go on that run last year win three road games against Golden State in the finals. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that's still tugged at the heartstrings a little bit for you, even though you left Toronto a while ago. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the, um, the, uh, the Raptors, I'm, number one, I'm happy for all their success. Um, I was at a point in Raptor franchise history, I joined the club after their second season, maybe their third season, and it was the lockout year of 98-99. And it was a perfect storm because Vince Carter was a Raptor his rookie year. We had veterans like Kevin Willis, Charles Oakley, D. Brown, Doug Christie, um, Tracy Murray. I mean, it was a really good basketball team. Alvin Williams was just 
starting to turn it on as a promising player before really injuries just completely shut him down. But he played hard every night. And with the new building at the Air Canada Centre, then the uh, ACC, not as we know now. But, um, you know, it was Vince and it was Tracy McGrady. And Tracy was in his second year when Vince was in his rookie year. And I only wish the two could have stayed. But as the franchise, you know, grew and developed, and then with the blockbuster trade of Kawhi Leonard, um, and things fell into place for the Raptors because the Raptors um, were maturing. Uh, there were some good teams in the NBA, but they couldn't seal the deal, and they were also banged up. That's not an excuse, just a fact. And the Raptors took advantage of it like good teams have to take advantage of it. I mean, listen, I, I get it. There are a lot of clubs that were hurt in the playoffs. So what? You know, I mean, that, that's the way life goes. Life isn't always fair when it comes to uh, sports or life, for that matter. But in sports, you got to take advantage of it. Just because a player or two's out, you still have to play the game. So, by the way, did you know that Edmonton, the city of Edmonton, was a farm club of the White Sox at one point? Oh, yeah, the Trappers. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 We had a few, because Ron Kittle played here. He did. Who, uh, and when he would hit a, I'll tell you what, he, he told me he hit a ball so hard that it, it, it went to Burnaby. He well, did he have exactly fifty home runs? I think. Yeah, yeah. He, he led AAA I, that one season, so he was. I, I actually awesome. made up that story, but but I mean, he, <laughs> I know he did enjoy Edmonton, and and the reason why I know Burnaby Park in Vancouver area is I grew up in Seattle, and so when I played as a little boy, I played soccer, and we would have these exchanges, so we would go up to Vancouver and play on their pitch, i.e., field turf, whatever you want to call it. And then uh, they would come down, the Canadian team would come down to Seattle and they would play a weekend series. We would play one game Saturday, one game Sunday. And um, I'll never forget one year we went up to Vancouver and it rained so, so hard. I mean, really, really hard that the field was unplayable on Saturday. And so they're expecting, okay, we'll, we'll just do this again on Sunday. And the whole tournament got washed out. We went to Vancouver and we saw rain. And it still bothers me today. I've actually had to go to therapy. Yeah, you're still thinking about it many years later. That's amazing. Well, poor Vancouver, the, you're reinforcing the, uh, the stereotype about all the rain. No, I love Vancouver. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I wish Vancouver was still in the NBA. It was a great, it was a great stop, you know? I'm not well, feeling their, their – I wasn't feeling their teal uniforms uh, when they were played, but that's another thing. We've gotten into a uniform-like thing today, but yeah, we're all okay. over the map. Well, let, let me throw one more. Thanks for coming on. This is so much fun to talk about. Talk to you. Uh, I mean, you've had a great broadcasting career. You're most associated with basketball, but when you uh, work in media and you get to in play-by-play, you never know maybe what booth you could be sitting in. You're doing this in Edmonton. Any hockey play-by-play – uh, on your resume or any type of hockey story from a media perspective that really sticks with you? Well, uh, I remember uh, I did uh, pre, post, and intermission for the Red Wings when the Red Wings won a couple of cups against uh, Philly and Washington, respectively, right before I joined the Raptors. And that was a lot of fun. 
Steve Eiserman was the ultimate captain. I loved him. I loved Brendan Shanahan. They were great. Scotty Bowman, um, unbelievable task. Probably, I would say, of all the coaches and managers in sports I've met, he probably is the greatest head coach I've ever been around. He was always one or two or three steps ahead of anyone else. He was a magnificent coach. And he was locked in. And he wanted structure. I get that. But he had a manner and a way of handling his team. And it was very successful. Just not with the Red Wings. You look at his record, whether it was with Montreal, St. Louis, Pittsburgh. I mean, he was, he was really, 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 really good. Yeah, he won everywhere he went, that's for sure. Chuck, uh, we're going to have to do this again. Uh, this yes, is awesome to have you on the show, and uh, hopefully the next time we do it, we're talking about actual current games being played and, and all that kind of stuff. But thanks for sharing some uh, memories of your career and your uh, critique of uniforms and all the other fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, you know, um, we'll have to talk about uh, – well, I did soccer, and we would play in Edmonton. We had a, Edmonton had a North American soccer yeah, team. Yeah, the Drillers. The drillers. Yeah. So there you go. All right. I'll let you go. Be well. Absolutely. That is a wide-ranging and entertaining conversation with Chuck Swirsky, the radio play-by-play voice of the Chicago Bulls, former play-by-play man for the Toronto Raptors. Man, that was fun. And a lot of Edmonton references in there. He uh, he came prepared, and he's uh, got a pretty good, pretty good knowledge of our fair city. Ron Kittle. 50 home runs with the Edmonton uh, Trappers in the 1983 Pacific Coast League season. Next year, 83 with the Chicago White Sox, he hit 35 home runs, drove in 100 runs, batted 254, and was named American League Rookie of the Year. We're back after the break on Inside Sports. Well, I just am now on uh, baseball-reference.com getting some more details on the 1982 Edmonton Trappers managed by Gordy Lund, who turned uh, 79 back in February. Greg Walker was on that team who uh, went on to play a few years with the White Sox pitcher Juan Augusto. Just a few names I remember from playing with the White Sox. I'm sure there were other guys who went on to big league careers, but those are the ones I remember. I wonder, you know what, Kellen? Hmm. I wonder if I could, I, I couldn't do it in order. All the uh, affiliates that the Trappers had, because they were White Sox for a long time, and then they were Angels for a long time. And then they they had a bunch of two or four year deals with teams. They were the A's yeah. for a while. They were the Expos for a while. They were the were they not the Marlins for a couple of years? That's correct. I which think is yeah the most insane. Uh, <laughs> oh, we're calling a guy up. He'll be here in a couple of days. Um, am I? And I think they went back to the Angels at some point. I'm now looking this up. They went back to the Expos too. I think. Did they bounce around? Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. I'll, we'll ha- I'll have to look into this. Oh, here we go. 
Okay, Whites. It was only it says they're only the White Sox for two years. White Sox eighty-one to eighty-two, but I guess that's when I first got introduced them. Angels from eighty-three to ninety-two, so that was a long run. Marlins ninety-three to ninety-four. Athletics ninety-five to ninety-eight. Back to the Angels for ninety-nine and two thousand. Oh, they were no, they were never the Marlins. Uh, Minnesota Twins in oh one and oh two, and then the Expos in oh three and oh four. So I thought I thought we were the Marlins for a while, but we were not. I have totally forgot about the Twins. So the Expos uh, were the last major league team that the Trappers will were affiliated with. Mm-hmm. League championships in '84, '96, '97, and 2002, and of course their mascot, Homer. Thanks for tuning in tonight. You heard from Kelly Rudy and Chuck Swirsky. The producer of Inside Sports is Dave Campbell. The studio producer, Kellen Kennedy. 6.30, Ched. Mornings tomorrow, starting at 5.30 with Chelsea and Shea. More angles, more thoughts on the protests in the United States. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night. 6.30, Ched. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30, Ched.